Welcome to Gucci Row on the Rebel HD2. I'm your host, Kevin Kelly, with co-host Will Despar. Thanks for tuning in to our courtside conversations covering all things NBA. Young rebel, young money, nothing you can tell me. Welcome back, y'all. Gucci Row. Episode 4. I'm here, your host, Kevin Kelly. Your co-host, Will Despart. How we doing, man? Good, how are you? Good, good, good. You got a uh, good episode ahead of us. Talk a bit about trades, um, especially, you know, some of the ones that just happened this spring and uh, summer. Um, and uh, get into a little bit of historical context discussion about the value that um, front offices look for in trades and how that's shifted. Um, and then we'll cut into a bit of, a, of the landscape of this next season um, and what we think some teams might be able to do to jump and stuff like that. And then we'll uh, cut cut into the uh, the uh, mid-season tournament that Adam Silver put in and uh, discuss the implications of that. So um, That time of year. That time of year, yep. To um to begin with some of the trades uh that happened I'll um I'll start uh earlier we got early in June the uh on the 18th we had Brad Beal sent to Phoenix for Chris Paul Landry Shamit multiple seconds and pick swaps um I think an important thing about this trade that I wanted to discuss is the lack of first rounders in there and. Um, I think that that is, uh, can go to speak to just how insane it is for a team to give anyone, let alone a guy like Brad Beal, a, uh, full no trade clause. Yeah. I was definitely surprised when I saw that that wasn't like much of a haul in compared to what I thought it would be, but it does make sense compared to with the contract situation that I don't know if you can give up that much with him. Yeah. It seems like, um, it seems like there was like a real peak in what teams were willing to give up uh, last season with when you talk about the Gobert trade and the Donovan Mitchell trade and just the unbelievable amount of draft capital included. Um, and, you know, leverage and, and, and contracts definitely play a role. But, you know, like I know there's the Heat reported that they uh, offered two picks plus players to the Wizards, but just because Beal would have preferred to play in Phoenix, um, they're left with no first picks and only swaps. So, you know, for all the talk that he had for years about, like, wanting to do right by D.C. and everything, it's a pretty pretty weird way to go out. I'm not exactly sure he's that much of a ceiling raiser for a team anyway. I mean, especially when you're going to be as thin as the Suns are coming off the bench. I don't really know if that's a championship trade. Yeah, and um, it it does seem a little redundant with what he and Book do to me. So, um, to get into that though, the Wizards um didn't hang out with Chris Paul for long. They um flipped him to the Warriors in a trade that sent uh, Jordan Poole and um a twenty thirty first round pick, top twenty protected, and a twenty twenty seven pick to the uh, Wizards. I was wondering if you had thoughts on that as the uh, as the Warrior fan here. Uh, I'm pretty neutral. I don't know. It feels good to get the pool contract off the books, but, I mean, I'm not a huge Chris Paul fan, even just mostly because of the rivalry, honestly. But <laughs> just 
I think a 38-year-old giving up a 24-year-old for him is never really a good deal because like, you're trading away potential for something that we can only decline. So That's true. It's interesting. Um, I know we had mentioned the other day when it first dropped a bit about how this uh, – how we look at this trade is, is so reliant upon um, Jordan Poole's career arc and yeah. if he's able to um, grow. Because like you said, like it is giving up what it, whatever 14 years of age um, on a guy who clearly has a pretty high ceiling. But If we've seen the peak of Jordan Poole, then I don't think it's a bad trade. But if, we, if he turns into something else that he hasn't become yet, then it could age horribly. That's the thing. It could, but also... If, like you mentioned, he has seen his peak, it's not just a good trade. It's a phenomenal trade from the Warriors front office to give off whatever, $200 million of um, four years of, of of dealing with that just to be able to have one year of Chris Paul and have, you know, a lot more cap next year. So yeah, that one will be interesting to see how it rounds out. But I thought it was funny that the only first round pick that the Wizards got out of this uh, whole thing was for Chris Paul included in that but certainly no sam press the operation yeah um so you know another one that uh, i think is worth talking about is a three-team trade that happened on july 21st or june 21st that sent christophs porzingis and a 2023 first round pick that um and a 2024 first round pick via golden state to boston who sent out danilo gallinari mike muscala second round pick and Marcus Smart the other two teams involved here were the Wizards who got Tyus Jones Gallinari Muscala in that second and and the Memphis Grizzlies who got guard Marcus Smart Um, overall thoughts on this one I liked it for the Celtics I mean it's definitely tough for the fan base to give up Smart after nine years there but I mean I don't think there was much left that they could have done as far as like getting over the hump with that lineup so i think it's good they added kp i think he'll be a big boost to that offense and defense yeah i I like this especially for um for like you said the celtics but also the grizzlies i think that um just giving up tyus jones who is you know one of the best uh backup point guards in the league and has been for about half a decade but to give him up for uh you know a tone setter and, and an incredible defender defensive player of the year Marcus Smart is um you know a really good grab and I think that they certainly needed a bit of uh leadership and culture in that locker room it's definitely about as good as you can get as far as a Dylan Brooks replacement yeah and I think it's funny to mention now that the um Wizards are just loaded up with tremendous backup point guards when you think of Tyus Jones Monte Morris uh Delon Wright like they just you know are loaded with good but not great guards so you know it'll be interesting to see the direction they go in they uh they had a good draft i thought moving up to get bilal um and they have a lot of room to um you know take chances on things like that definitely a lot of room yeah so then uh another thing this was uh certainly not as um as big but the uh nuggets were able to to move into a couple picks in this draft class um, by, by moving future picks. Like they, um, for example, they, they got the 29 in this year's and the 32 in this year's draft for 
the 40 and the future for next year. Um, and, you know, after seeing how how big Christian Braun was in the playoffs, and it seems like that was a great move that they can get guys that can contribute right away. I think we've definitely seen, even just with Jokic and how he's emerged, like the value of second-round picks has seemingly gone up. Yeah. Yeah, and so I guess to get into uh, a bit about, we mentioned, you know, the Donovan Mitchell and the uh, Rudy Gobert trade from uh, last year, which I, it's, so I think it, it's worth getting into a bit about just how draft capital has become so much more uh, sought after for GMs and front offices around the league as opposed to getting guys that can help you win now or even guys, young guys that have high ceilings. Like it, it, for me, what comes to mind is like, the first huge draft capital deal I can really think of uh, was the KG and Paul Pierce trade to the um, Nets back in 2010. Yeah, it was uh, 2012. 2012. So it seems like that was the first instance that I remember, at least, where it was just loads of draft capital. Um, and you saw it turn into some really good picks like Tatum and Jalen Brown. So Yeah. Um, and it aged horribly for the Nets. Yeah, and then also like another one that included a ton of draft capital that we don't really talk about all that often was the um the trade that sent Dwight Howard to the Lakers in which Orlando received Aaron Afalo, Al Horing, Al Harrington, Christian Iyenga, Josh McRoberts, Mo Harkless, Nick Vucevic, but then also a 2013 second, a 2014 first, a 2015 first, a 2015 second, and a 2017 first, all for Dwight Howard. How did yeah, that turn out for him? Not great. So, and then, like I mentioned, you know, with these, uh, the the Gobert trade that demanded four firsts, swaps, and um, the... Um, ja- uh, the Jazz and Cavs trade last year that sent Donovan there for Colin Sexton, Laurie Markkinen, Ochai, three firsts, two swaps, and second. So, um, you know, it, it just seems that teams are going to be a lot more reluctant going forward to give up their entire uh, decade-ish of, of control over their draft. Which is good, I think, for the future of the league. I don't think it's... I don't like seeing King's ransoms be given up for players that are just going to walk out of the door in three or four years. So. Yeah, to your point, too, like, um, it's uh, it's way more fun. I saw someone mention about how, like, it's, it, it's way more fun to watch a league where GMs are trading to get better but not to bottom out and have good, you know, prospects and drafts for the next 10 years. That's creates a culture of um you know a real lopsided league which i think is good to get away from for sure um so i think uh on the trades thing it's worth mentioning just how much value has risen um in terms of what teams demand back from players like there's a um shout out kenny beecham he has a video i watched on youtube recently about just some of the um trades in the 1990s and the uh the value that was returned for them like one of them charles barkley was with the 76ers for eight seasons six of which he was an all-star and averaged 25 points per game 12 rebounds per game that summer he didn't put out uh, an official trade request but everyone knew he wanted out 
So they moved him to the Suns for Tim Perry, Andrew Lang, and one year of Jeff Hornacek. He went on to win the MVP in Phoenix. It's just astonishing how low of a return that is for an MVP. Seems like it probably started a couple decades worth of front office futility for the Sixers, too, because I don't know if they've ever really recovered from that trade, barring their 0-1 run, which was kind of more luck than skill. Yeah. Yeah, you know, anytime... uh, (laughs) Anytime you trade away that someone that that good, you're taking big risks for sure. Like another one mentioned in that video is uh, how Popovich and the Spurs traded <laughs> traded Dennis Rodman to the Bulls in the '90s for Will Purdue, which is just I mean it doesn't even sound right. Which is worth mentioning that the reason that Pop said that they gave it up for so little was that no one wanted a chance wanted to take a chance on Rodman at the time, which. Uh, Sure, but Pop and Rodman also hated each other, which should be mentioned. They <laughs> still hate each other to this day, I'm pretty sure, but they were never going to yeah. coexist after that. Two polar opposite personalities. But still, you know, <laughs> regardless, you should demand a lot more in return for that. Another one uh, involves your Warriors. Mitch Richmond, as a 25-year-old, was traded away for the third pick who turned into Billy Owens. Yeah, the Warriors... Until 2014, we're really just a futile franchise all around. Like it was, some of the decisions they made and some of the players they missed out on. If you look in like through the 90s, it's just nauseating. So, so how we get from uh, these trades that include either very little for good talent or just young talent or current talent instead of picks. Um, and then we mentioned, you know, early ones like the Nets trades. What what do you think might have inspired that shift in value? And why do you think front offices uh, started to put so much more emphasis on, on having as many picks as they could? Probably just getting burned in the past. See, giving up a player of, say, Barkley's stature and realizing, okay, we got nothing in return for this. That could have built our franchise moving forward. So you got to play the hard game and do mm-hmm do that yeah i also think um you know as talent in the league and in the draft uh rose just over time it seems to make sense that you'd have more hope for getting uh, a star out of the draft or whatnot um so i guess to talk about some of these teams that have really low picks you know like the or high picks rather like the spurs pistons rockets um I don't know if you want to pick one of them uh, individually or just talk about them as a whole, but what do you think might have to happen for a team like that to jump either just into the play-in or just get out of the um, purgatory of of, uh, being high in the lotto? Well, for the Spurs, I think it's pretty obvious that it all relies on Wemby, and I think that's a pretty safe bet to make because he's 7'5", and he moves like a point guard. So, I mean... (laughs) Yeah, I guess, uh, would that be then your... um, most confident pick out of the you know the lottery teams to get back into the play-in oh yeah i think they could be a playing team this year the way they've built because the thing with the spurs is when they played all their players last year they weren't the worst team in the nba they were a fine team but they intentionally played bogus lineups to tank mm-hmm. when they get those players back and when they add up a few players around Wemby, i think yeah i think they could be the 10th of the ninth team in the Rather than the West, not the East. Yeah. Yeah, I think um I, I don't know. I, I I agree they have a chance uh 
to to jump up, but I don't know that I'd pick them to jump ahead of a team like like the Hornets who uh, have had been in the play in two of the last three years and then had a down season this year with Lamelo getting hurt. Um, I, th- I think it's possible for a team like them to jump back up, but you know when you talk about the really young teams like. Spurs, uh, like I said, Rockets, Pistons. I'd probably say the Spurs, but also I think that the Rockets are building something really special with the talent they have there and, and Jalen, Jabari, and, and Sangoon, and Amen, and now Cam Whitmore. Uh, I think that um, it's, it's really exciting. Even the bad young teams have a lot going for them. One concern I have with the Rockets is how they'll gel moving forward, though, because last year they still had not as much of a King Ransom of young talent, but they still had a really good handful of young talent, and they played horrendous together. So I'm hoping that Jalen Green can turn into more of like a team-first guy and not. Yeah, I wonder how much of it has to do with uh, leadership, both just in the locker room and um, from from the coaching staff. Like, uh, you know, I saw <laughs> Tari Eason's mom is on Twitter pretty active and she was talking about how uh she was excited that with Ime coming in they uh there's going to be nothing given basically is what she said and that uh guys are really going to have to fight for not only spots and lineups but touches and uh that type of thing is not handed to uh the highest draft pick what Houston can do in the near future will definitely prove Ime's saw as a coach too because that Celtics run kind of looks a little suspect after Missoula took him to the Eastern Conference Finals. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's a good point. It's because uh, everyone is quick to crown him and, you know, uh, somewhat deservingly so. Like, he jumped in and had the Celtics go on that January to April run where they were just, you know, basically unstoppable two years ago. But I think it's like you said it's a lot different with a young roster unproven and uh you know a, a lot more um jump to make so and no Jason Tatum right exactly um so I guess to uh get into the next topic um I just just I I wanted to get into a little bit about the um mid-season tournament that is being implemented by Adam Silver and uh I can get into a couple of the details. Um, he said it's going to look different in, in the sense that it just won't look like regular games. They're going to have different uh, court floors that are designated for the tournament and uh, different uniforms that uh, are specially made for the tournament. And it'll include an initial round, a knockout round, pool play, and then four semifinalists that are at a neutral site. Um, and it, it, he was quoted as saying that one of the reasons this is being implemented is to create games of consequence during the regular season. And he said that it was very European soccer inspired. I'm wondering your thoughts on this. Well, when it first came up like a few years ago, I wasn't really the biggest fan of it because I'm, I'm definitely a traditionalist as far as that goes. But in the past few years, I've gotten more into like soccer and European sports in general. And I, I think that's definitely like made me come around on that. If, but I think a big thing in that regard is differentiating it from the finals and differentiating it from the NBA season. And like I think a good idea would maybe to have like overseas teams come and play in it or mm. like something like that. To something that's like a cup, like something that matters, and it's not just a like the the WNBA's little tournament. Like you, you that that gets played to the season, and it doesn't it doesn't feel like it matters at all. Right. Yeah, 
I think that's an interesting point. If you brought some, you know, like an ACB team or, uh, uh, you know, someone like Barcelona, I think that uh, despite the big talent talent uh, gap there, I think it'd be interesting to see. Uh, and, and also it'd bring a lot of eyes from different areas. Oh, it would be a blowout, but it's just like the like FA Cup and like soccer where you're putting like the lower leagues against like a Manchester United. Sure, it's going to probably be a horrible well they also don't play their best lineups in games like that you give you know your 14th 13th 14th 15th guys a chance to get more run and uh i think even just for that that's awesome you know for sure um so they said uh, it'll have uh there's the incentive is like five hundred thousand to each winner 200k to each uh second place um player so you know I guess they uh, needed some more money uh, to um, inspire them, but no, I, I guess just, um, yeah, overall, do you think it's a good idea? Do you think it's doing too much? Um, do you think that the players are incentivized? Yeah. I don't think they're very incentivized. I don't think 500K does much for any of them except the people at the bottom of the roster. Well, that's that's a good point. I think that, right, for your Jason Tatums, your Joel Embiid's, clearly they are... Uh, don't have too much to gain when you're on the MVP ladder and you're going to be playing a, a, a game that just matters for to them a few hundred thousand. But uh, I think like you mentioned to those uh, bottom of the roster guys, to the young guys, I think that this could be uh, a really good way for them to get important burn and, and, and have higher usage rates and um, for teams to see what they can do with their young guys and how they can uh, invest in a direction. That's if they use it that way, though. Yeah, no, definitely. Uh, uh, yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting to see how it's laid out for sure. Um, so just to get into uh, a little bit of um, award prediction for this next year. <laughs> Far too early, but worth it anyway. Uh, I just I if you wanted to start with MVP, I have a couple of my picks here. Well, this is a dark horse. Like I've said, I've mentioned this in previous podcasts. De'Aaron Fox, that's something that I'll put a futures bet on. I don't think it's likely to happen, but that's someone I would uh, slip a ticket in for. Other than that, I think Jokic probably has a pretty good shot. Well, it's interesting you mentioned that because I was looking at uh, you know some of the later in this past season's uh, MVP ladder, the uh, Kia MVP ladder, and just looking at you know where guys stood in terms of you know after the first three of your top five candidates and uh like you mentioned fox he was on the ladder in the top 10 for almost all the spring but as was uh his teammate um demontis Sabonis. so yeah i think that in a lot of those cases guys cannibalize each other's mvp chances uh which is bound to happen and why I tend to stay away from my predictions of guys that have uh, other all-stars on their team. But I agree, you know, he was 25, six and four last year. I think if he could get up to uh, 30 and six and six or something of the sort, he'd certainly be in the, the I also think the playoffs have sort of changed the perception of the Kings and what they are. I think in the regular season, people kind of looked at that as, as a bonus carried team. And now it's very clear that it's a and Fox, who is the clear engine, and then Sabonis is more of a second fiddle to him, although he's a pretty good 
more of maybe like a 1B to a 1A, but right. and there's he, definitely a 1A and a 1B there. Yeah, and his his role is also so uh, geared towards being DeMontis, towards being a hub and initiating uh, actions and stuff. And so, yeah, you're not looking at him as much as you are like De'Aaron to put the ball in the hoop, especially late in the um, fourth quarter. So uh, I agree. I think my other ones I'd throw in, I don't know if you mentioned Giannis, I think has a good chance to... Uh, have a nice bounce back season for MVP. And then uh, Shea and Steph, I think, are worth mentioning. Shea, definitely. I think if the Thunder can get some more wins and get into the playoffs, he's actually into the playoffs and not into the play-in. Right. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, so to move on to Rookie of the Year, there's an obvious pick here, but uh let's see what you say. I'm actually pretty interested to see the Vic and Chet battle for Rookie of the Year. I think Chet having that year to, like, obviously rehab the injury but also grow into his body a little bit i think that could make it more interesting than i think people expect obviously vic is probably going to win and he should be the heavy favorite of course but i think it'll be a fun battle between those two yeah no i agree especially when you look in um the thunder roster and the bigs that they have you know there's a lot there's a lot of room for touches and shots and i think that he's going into pretty much a perfect opportunity for uh him to jump up also, I think it's worth mentioning um, Brandon Miller just because of the shot attempts he'll be able to see on the Hornets. Um, uh, and then Keontae George for the Jazz, who I think is stepping into one of the best spots, uh, best fits of any of the, the rookies. So To go on to uh, Defensive Player of the Year, this one is pretty speculative, obviously based on what teams are going to be good on defense. But um, I think Bam and AD are my top two. Yeah, I could see AD getting it just because the increase in respect he sort of also got during the postseason. I think that kind of maybe people will see that he hasn't maybe gotten his fair due in terms of DPOIs and will yeah, and when he was him one. Well, you're right. And when he was healthy during the regular season last year, they were a phenomenal defense. It's just about, you know, whether he can stay healthy and be on the floor. So, um, yeah, six man of the year. I'm going to give a confident – pick to uh chris paul here well i did see a report today that the warriors are going to try and start chris paul really and run a super small ball lineup and move looney to the bench which i think would be outrageous but huh. I, that's what i did see so i i, I don't know i would hope cp3 comes off the bench because that would be good to like switch the speed with the slow yes but i don't know i, I could see Kerr messing that's, that up. That's interesting because, like you said, I think that like they have a really good opportunity for, like you mentioned, how they play such running gun, pass and go style offense with Steph. Uh, bringing Chris Paul off the bench could give them, you know, an opportunity to slow games down and uh, you know take other teams' offensive uh, prowess out by by just running more pick and rolls and um like i said not movement based offense so that'll that'll be interesting i think uh to go back to the six man i think iq emmanuel quickly had a really good chance this year at uh taking that and i think that if i had to pick another he's he's coming for it next year yeah it's a good pick um most improved this one also i'm pretty confident about uh in saying kale bridges i think right now he leads the odds but um yeah, I'd say Mikhail, and if not Mikhail, then Cade Cunningham coming off an injury. Mikhail definitely seems like he's morphing into a star. Mm-hmm. 
So I could see that. And, you know, the usage and shot opportunities open in Brooklyn should do a lot, as we saw in the playoffs for him. So, um, Two others to mention, I think uh, Malik Monk, just because we mentioned how good the Kings are, and uh, he's really important to that offense coming off the bench, adding a spark. And Christian Wood, who, uh, you know, his value and um, his place in this discussion went up and down a bit last year, but... He provides so much on offense that I think he, he could do the same. You want an LV? Yeah. And then coach of the year, uh, again, very speculative. This way too early. Uh, I think Will Hardy has a good chance for the Jazz just because they could take a good jump uh, just getting John Collins. And, um, yeah, I think that they uh, could run really big lineups and fight their way into uh, play-ins. I think Nick Nurse is a decent little pick there. I think, you know, something new. Um, to move into a very speculative executive, again, I uh, I went with Jazz here with Danny Ainge and Justin Zanuck, who uh, have made good moves in, in drafting uh, um, Keontae and uh, Taylor Hendricks, and um, I think trading basically nothing for John Collins, I think that was a great move. That's a good pick for now, but it's the beginning of the off season. Probably gonna have to wait. Yeah, for sure. For a more educated pick on that, because free agency, I can feel like it's gonna be a bear. A big one, yeah. And then uh, I guess just to to wrap up, um, clutch player of the year. This is again something that's really tough to predict, but um, I think De'Aaron Fox could could repeat as as clutch player. He was special in the fourth quarter all year. Yeah, I mean. I agree. I think DeMar DeRozan as well. He's just always been one of those players in the clutch that always seems to get to get it done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it'll be interesting, especially to see what their roster looks like and uh, if they're able to compete. So um, that's all the topics we have for today on uh, Gucci Row. I appreciate y'all being here. Much love. Take care. That's a wrap for Gucci Row this week. Thanks for tuning in on the Rebel HD2 with your hosts, Kevin Kelly and Will Dustport. You can find us on Instagram at 1KevKelly and Will Dustport. We'll see you next time on the Rebel HD2.